On this episode of Res Ball, I'm going to give one of my favorite player types, and that is the going to work, putting on the hard hat, doing all the dirty work type of players. They might not stuff the stat sheet. They might not shoot a lot of shots on offense, but they do a lot of dirty work on defense and some on offense as well. So we're going to break down team dirty work on this. Let's get going. say always a yeah thank you so much for listening to us today we are talking about the guys that probably aren't going to get a ton of love but i wanted to point out six guys that i have on my big board currently that i really buy into on defense that i do think will be enough of standout guys that they should get consideration in like a top 100 i'm not going to get carried away with most of them yeah, I know offense is normally what people get recognized for, but I do think one of the draft prospects that gets overlooked a lot of times are the guys that really sacrifice a lot to cover up for their teammates on defense or just to be like, hey, I'm going to be the guy that covers the tough assignments all the time and whatever, even if it means I don't really take a lot of shots or they're like, OK, I know this guy is our superstar and he's built around us. Even if I have a good offensive game, I know my Bread is buttered with defense. So I really, really, really want to highlight this player type because I love defense. Being a Detroit Piston fan, bad boys going to work. Defense is something I love. It's what I was taught to play first and foremost when I did learn how to play. So it's just something that's just inherent in me. I always gravitate more towards the defensive prospects. Again, I'm not going to be like, oh, these guys should be all first round picks or whatever. I'm just saying. Don't overlook defenders, especially ones that are as good as the guys I'm about to lay out. So let's go ahead and start with our first guy on Team Dirty Work. So being 1,000% honest, the inspiration for this list is the first guy I'm going to list. He was the 2022-2023 Big 12's most improved player, and that is K.J. Adams Jr., who will be in his third year at Kansas. So at Kansas, uh, K.J. Adams is listed at six foot seven, two hundred and thirty-five pounds. If you look on Kansas's website, at Kansas last year in his second season, AJ Adams scored ten point six points per game, pulled in four point three rebounds per game, had one point nine assists per game, zero point eight steals, zero point eight blocks per game, shot sixty-two point nine percent from two-point range, only took three three-point attempts this past season, but did not make any of them and then was 60.7% from the free throw line on 3.1 attempts per game. I don't like giving hot takes, and I realize when I really like somebody or there's something I want to say, I normally spend a ton of time like researching and looking at it before I say it. And even then I realize like, oh, this might be something that's just kind of too wild out there too. I also don't like hyperbole being an instructor who teaches normally like, 18 to 22 year olds. I hear a lot of like, it's fire. It's the best. He's the go, blah, blah, blah. It's one of the things I definitely where I start to feel my age. It's like, yeah, I don't remember talking like that. Um, but I only say that because I really think that Kansas's roster worked because of KJ Adams last year. I only say that because the roster only had two big men, KJ Adams and Ernest Uday. Everybody else was basically like a guard or a wing. Dylan Wilson, Grady Dick, Kevin McCullough, Dewan Harris, Joseph uh, Yusefu, and Pettifer, Bobby Pettifor were the main guys that got minutes in the roster. I think that was basically like their top eight. Yeah, that was their top eight guys there. Dylan Wilson, Dewan Harris, Grady Dick. Kevin McCullough, KJ Adams were the regular starting five. And then Joseph Yusufu or Yusefu, I'm always forget how to pronounce it. Well, the sixth man, Bobby Pettifor, seventh, Ernest Uday was the eighth man at 249 minutes total. So those are the main eight guys there. And only two of them were the actual big men. 
I really like KJ Adams for doing all the dirty work. That's again, he's the reason why I made this list because I really wanted to talk him up. Even though I know people might kind of overlook him, there's a couple different things that he did. Number one on defense, he was the center. Although the block numbers might not make you think like, well, this is a long-term thing. I also would say it's probably not a long-term thing. 29 total blocks last year in 985 minutes. Again, he was the main center. The other thing is the block numbers, or the rebound numbers, excuse me, 156 total rebounds did not lead the team. As a matter of fact, his KJ Adams' 156 rebounds is actually fourth on the team. He was out-rebounded by KJ Adams, was out-rebounded by Grady Dick, by Kevin McCuller, and by Jalen Wilson. Both McCuller and Wilson had over 230 total rebounds last year. But again, I think part of it that I really looked at was like, yeah, he's kind of filling in a bunch of roles and letting these other guys have their shine. Number one is as a screener. A.J. Adams set a lot of good screens for the guards, for Grady Dick, for Jalen Wilson, all these guys that could handle the ball. Uh, Dewan Harris, you know, I don't think that that team works quite as well without K.J. Adams being able to screen for all those guys. And then on defense, again, this is the dirty work, mainly focused on defense. On defense, K.J. Adams had to guard the center every single Time they went out there, Kansas did a ton of switching. I think part of it was because they don't have a traditional center. And then KJ Adams was kind of the foundation of the defense. And his main thing is being an athletic 6'7 guy that can cover a bunch of different people. What I mean, he can cover a bunch of different people. A couple games to think about. Number one is Baylor. Baylor has a ton of guards. And KJ Adams is able to hang with them, run with them. In that one game where Kansas uh, beat Baylor at Kansas, like Baylor was up in that first half, and then they came back on the swing, partially because of the way the entire Kansas team played defense, much due to KJ Adams, who being able to switch and get out on the quick guys, while also being able to handle a Jonathan uh, Chamuchachwa, also being able to handle like a Jalen Bridges, who we previously laid out before. And then fast forward, I think it was a few weeks later, Kansas goes to TCU and they face a TCU team with a six foot 11, 300 pound Eddie Lampkin. And the only guy who could hold up on Eddie Lampkin, 6'11", 300 pounds was AJ Adams. I believe in that game, Eddie Lampkin had like five or three points. This is a six foot seven, 235 Last year, Kansas listed him at 225 pounds, guy holding up and just single digits points on a guy that's 6'11", 300 pounds. I mean, if you're giving up 35 to 25 pounds and you're giving up four inches of height and you're the one that has the better performance in that game, yeah, again, you have multi-positional ability. Go back to that. Baylor game, you're able to get out there and switch on all the different guards that Baylor has from Keontae George to LJ Cryer, Dale Bonner, you know, all those different dudes that were there, Adam Flagler. And then even in the TCU game where you see him switch on to Mike Miles and you just continue to see AJ Adams shine whenever he's asked to switch like this. And since Kansas did really heavily, you know, focus on switching everything, you need your big man to be able to do that. And you need your big man to be able to switch on anybody without you being afraid to do that. Again, KJ Adams did all that dirty work on defense. The block numbers, though, why I think the block numbers aren't that impressive is because if you're switching everybody and if you are the main big man, being able to switch out on the guards, being able to switch out onto big man, then you're going to get drawn out to be able to do that. You're not just going to be parked in the paint. You're not just going to be roaming around waiting to block somebody. You have to be a good man-to-man defender in this scheme. That's part of the reason why the block numbers were lower for KJ Adams. I also think the rebounding numbers, again, fourth rebounder on that Kansas team, even Grady Dick pulled in more rebounds. Part of it is when you watch the film, you see KJ Adams is normally sealing somebody off somewhere else. Jalen Wilson... Brady Dick, Kevin McCuller, they're crashing the glass. They're going to get the rebound. Meanwhile, KJ Adams is like on the opposite side, sealing off another big man 
you'd be able to get to these guys. And a lot of Kansas's deadliness last year is being able to grab the rebound, get out and transition and run. All three of those guys I just named, Kevin McCuller, Brady Dick, Jalen Wilson, you don't want them in transition. Both Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick could be good pull-up shooters from three. Grady Dick is a fantastic pull-up shooter from three in transition. And then McCuller and Wilson were both attackers coming downhill. McCuller was able to hit a bunch of open dudes in transition with those 2.4 assists per game. Meanwhile, KJ Adams is around there. Again, sealing somebody off on the backside being able to clear out for the other guys to just get out there and run. And the last thing about KJ Adams, he is a really good athlete, explosive leaper to be able to be a lob threat. And as a pick and roll guy, I think he also has this ability to hit people on the short roll and is a severely underrated passer, in my opinion. That's one of the things that always popped out to me on film with KJ Adams is just his ability to get guys on the move, especially in pick and roll where he's the guy setting the pick. He gets the ball, he gets double team and bam, he kicked it out to a teammate. 70 assists to 55 turnovers. That's part of my argument for KJ Adams in that regard. Also 13.3 assist percentage this past season in his second season at Kansas. And then 62.5% true shooting percentage and a 44.6% free throw attempt rate. 6'7", 235, I know is undersized. And he only took three three-pointers this last season in total between his first year at Kansas and his second year at Kansas. K.J. Adams has taken a total of four. That is one, two, three, four three-point attempts at 6'7", 225, 235 in there. I'm sure there are many, many, many people out there that are going to be like, he has to take threes. I'm not necessarily one of those people. I think this is somebody that could be like a Brandon Clark with the passing ability, with all these things about screening, setting screens for the entire team, and then being that multi-positional big man defender down low. It would probably depend on the wingspan for KJ Adams, but with his leaping ability, his ability to set screens and be a pick and roll finisher like that is really strong evidence that, hey, this does look like a small Small ball five, maybe somebody at the four who can play alongside a three-point shooter at the five. Well, last thing for KG Adams, finishes, finishes, finishes everything down low to do the dirtiest of work on offense. Took 89 attempts in the paint and drained 48 of those. That is 53.9% in the paint and then took 135 shots at the rim point blank range and drained 100 of those 135 attempts. That is 74.1%. That's some of the highest finishing percentage out of anybody that I've profiled from last year. Again, 135 shots at the rim. That is not a small number, and then drained 100 of them. So over 50% in the paint, and then over 74%, just 74.1% at the rim. He's doing what you're asking him to do. And oh, by the way, he can do these short roll passing. And oh, by the way, he's a fantastic switch defender. All you want him to do is be a pick and roll guy right now. Spam that on offense. This season, he has potential to maybe like flash more of a three-point shot playing next to Hunter Dickinson. But Hunter Dickinson started to flash more of a three-point shot. Remember, I'm a U of M guy. I saw Hunter at U of M. Pretty familiar with this game. That's one thing that Hunter has been better at is just being able to extend his three-point range the last two seasons. So I kind of expect that KJ will do things to cover up Hunter on defense where Hunter's not the most mobile guy. He's going to stick more in the paint. And we're probably going to see a more traditional Kansas offense than what we saw last year where we have the center. We're going to feed him, try and get as many easy shots, work a little bit more with his back to the basket, but also have extended range that he's continued to work on. Meanwhile, KJ Adams can continue to be pick and roll dude can continue to just be a lob threat, which again, Hunter is not exactly that. He's definitely not as explosive as KJ Adams. Meanwhile, there are returners like uh, Dewan Harris uh, came back for another year as well. And Kevin McCuller. So KJ Adams has his guards returning to be able to feed him as well. I'm not sure what the points per game. But again, this is a team dirty work. I'm not going to sell you on like, oh, they're going to have 
increase production and be a breakout guy like I did the last episode or even seeing like their sleepers. I'm just saying we're not overlooking these defensive prospects. You cannot undersell how much KJ Adams is dirty work. The screen setting, switch defending, lob threat and finishing at the rim, how much that makes this Kansas team even better. Keep an eye on KJ Adams as an undersized big man that finishes and does all the dirty work. Speaking of Hunter Dickinson, he left my Michigan Wolverines and there is a boy there at the big man spot. And I've really been studying this team. I wanted to make a case for Terrence Williams, who I, we all call T. Will, 6'7", 225 power forward, because he did do a lot of like covering up for Hunter and being able to move and do the switching stuff, getting out on more mobile big men, on covering up to stay away from the guys that can get under an athletic trouble, but is just overall game. I think there's a few things lacking that the incoming transfer, Olivier Kamwa, I think profiles in this regard better and is somebody that I really, really was in on at the end of last season as Olivier Kamwa went into the combine and went through the pre-draft process and just showed out that, you know what, this is somebody that definitely should get a shot in the NBA, number one, because of his defense and number two, because he does a lot of dirty work on offense and on defense. Olivier Kamwa is listed at six foot nine, 235 pounds. He originally comes from Helsinki, Finland. The last four seasons, Olivier Kamwa played at the University of Tennessee. And in his fourth season, this last season at the University of Tennessee, Olivier Kamwa shot 55.2% from two-point range, 33.3% from three-point range, and 69.9% from the free throw line. The stat line for Mr. Olivier Kama was 10.8 points per game, five rebounds per game, two assists per game, 0.4 steals per game, and 0.6 blocks per game. Olivier Kama is going to profile a lot like what I just laid out with KJ Adams. Switch defender is a really good finisher at the rim, but and also is a good passer, underrated passer that can do things not so much on the short roll, I think, with Olivier Kama, but just being able to keep the ball moving keep his head up and do other things. But with Olivier Kama, there is actually shooting upside. I'm not going to say he's going to be this like knockdown three-point shooter, but he's slowly being able to get out there and extend his range. The first two seasons of Tennessee, Olivier Kama only took five threes and shot 20%. Then in his junior year, his third year, Tennessee, Olivier Kama took 29 threes, still very small, but shot 44.8%. So it was something and then last season, Olivier Kama took the most three-pointers he's ever taken in a season uh, with 54 and then shot 33% on those threes. Last two seasons as well, really, really up his free throw percentage in the first two seasons at Tennessee. He shot under 62% from the free throw line. And then in the last two years has taken 119 total three-point or free throw attempts, excuse me, 119 free throw attempts in total in the last two seasons at the University of Tennessee and shot 70.6% from the free throw line. And if you extend the three-point attempts two to the two years, it's 83 total three-point attempts the last two years for Olivier Kamwa, and he shot 37.3% on those 83 three-point attempts. But again, this is the dirty work. I don't know why I'm talking too much about three-pointers. We're not going to talk a lot about three-pointers here. Last season at Tennessee, Olivier Kamwa pulled in 180 rebounds, which led the Tennessee Volunteers. He was also able to block 22 shots, which was second leading shot blocker on the Tennessee roster as well. And then those 83 free throw attempts was second on the team to freshman phenom Julian Phillips. And then if you look at Olivier Kamwa's shot chart, he took 106 attempts at the rim. Turning 75 of those, which is a 70.8% at the rim. And then in the paint, 41 of 86, which is 47.7%. So while it's not quite the elite level that KJ Adams was, I mean, there's really only one consistent floor spacer at Tennessee. So you got to keep that in mind as well. So there wasn't as many people to pull away from Olivia Kama in the paint, but he was still able to finish a lot. Also a very good lob threat. I think Tennessee's guards didn't do a good enough job of finding him because he would be able to cut back door. 
he would able to be pretend like he's going to pick and pop, but then circle around the back door and nobody would cover him. And you could see he had his hand raised, but then they did not get him enough on those plays. So Olivia Kama, I think playing with Doug McDaniel and Jalen Llewellyn, who missed last season, is going to be in his fifth year, I believe. I think those two will do well with Olivia Kama and feed him a lot more easy dunk attempts there because he's going to do that dirty work and do the majority of his attacking down low. Well, for a team that's going to be missing Hunter Dickinson, Terrace Reed and T-Will, Terrence Williams second again, are going to be there still. They're probably going to get minutes. But, man, I think Olivia Kama just offers uh, more than T-Will with the athleticism and then being able to shoot a little bit better than a T-Will. So I really think Olivia Kama is going to be there. Probably with Terrace Reed, who the team is also very high on at the center position and did show out pretty well there. The other thing to consider with Olivia Kamwise, he did play for Finland's team in FIBA World Cup this past summer. And I mean like the big team, like alongside Lori Market and, and Miro Little, that Finland team. And in that tournament, he played five games, was able to score eight points per game, pulled in. 3.8 rebounds, dished out two assists per game, had 0.4 steals per game, and then one block per game in those five games. Shooting splits at the FIBA World Cup for Livia Kama with the Finland team was 60% from two-point range, 50% from three-point range, and then 80% from the free throw line. I'll give you the totals on these. Though. I mean, he didn't take a ton of shots, so I'm going to say, you know, pump the brakes on this even for myself. 28 total. Field goal attempts for Olivia Kama. 20 of those were from two-point range, so he drank 12 20. And then only eight attempts from three-point range in those five games, so four of eight. And then five attempts from the free throw line, so four of five. The best game, if you did want to look at Olivia Kama's tape in the FIBA World Cup this last summer, was against the eventual gold winner, gold medal winner, Germany, where Olivia Kama scored 14 points in that game, pulled in four rebounds, had three assists, and three blocks. Shot four of seven from two-point range against Germany, two of three from three-point range, then didn't make it to the free throw line. I think that is something to at least look into because you see against the guys that won the whole little tournament, he did have a great game there. And he was the third or fourth leading scorer, I believe, on the Finland team. I think he tied for third there. Yeah, so he was tied for third leading scorer. He was also third in efficiency in the whole team and then was third in rebounds there. And then the assists, too. I think assists were good, two assists per game, especially for a six foot nine, 235 big man. And if you just look, this is where I hate doing this, but when I'm looking at the Finland team, I'm like, you know what? He doesn't look that much smaller than Laurie Markinen. And I know Laurie Markinen's like seven feet. So, you know, he's legitimate, like six, nine is all that I'm saying with that. It's not one of these guys who are like, mm, I don't know. He's so small. Like, yeah, he looks like a big dude. So he has that experience along to go with everything else I just laid out. Fantastic finisher down low is a very good long threat. And then defense. I mean, I don't really have to sell you on his defense if you know anything about college basketball. You don't play that much in Tennessee if you can't play defense. And oh, by the way, Olivia Kama played the second most minutes this past season for the University of Tennessee with 912. The only guy to play more minutes than Olivier Kama is Santiago Scobi. I also think even though he's on team dirty work, he's the guy that... Like his scoring is starting to come along more as evidenced by the 27 points he dropped against Duke in the NCAA tournament. That's also a fantastic game to look at. I know it's just one game, but if you really want to be sold on him and understand like the total overall skill set and what the flashes are and why you should buy into him as this two-way potential dirty work guy, was three or four in that game, was the main defender on Kyle Filipowski, who wanted no business with Olivia Kama, tried to back him down a few times and was stood up and had to be turned into more of a three-point shooter. Also, was zero for five from three-point range was Kyle Filipowski in that game, mainly due to the pressure that Olivia Kama put on him. And then you see Olivia Kama being able to switch onto the guards in that game. We have Jeremy Roach, you have Granderson. He's able to hang 
with Tyrese Proctor, who's super quick as well. Proctor got him a couple of times. Obviously, Proctor does that. He's that fast. But his ability to be able to stay with all of the Duke guards and to be able to handle their top guy in Kyle Filipowski while also dropping 27 and being the leading scorer in that game, that's a fantastic game to go look at with Olivia Kama. Great athlete, great finisher, switch defender. Go Blue. Happy to see Olivia Kama this upcoming season doing the dirty work for my Wolverines. All right, let's move on to our final big man on the six-man team dirty work roster. And it's time for that discussion where I really like this guy, and I it was a choice between him and his teammate, and I'm going to keep it real with you. I could see a world where this player I'm about to break down doesn't get as much playing time as I would like. But why I chose him over his teammate is because I think he's the one that we should be highlighting and should be talking about more. And the, the two I was thinking about both play for Ole Miss this upcoming season. One was Musa Sise, who's a fantastic defender, fantastic center, who played at Memphis his freshman season. The last two seasons, Musa Sise played with Oklahoma State Cowboys there and was all Big 12, all defense. He, I mean, he just did great work. There. Not the most elite shot blocker, but able to be a little bit of a switch guy, being able to protect the paint, and just was the foundation for a very good Oklahoma State defense. Transfers over to Mississippi State, where I think he's going to form a block party if they do play these two guys together with the guy that I will talk about, and that's Jamarian Sharp. If you do not know who Jamarian Sharp is, again, I think he's the one that deserves more of the spotlight because Musa Sise was a high-level recruit. He played at Memphis where he got some spotlight. He played at Oklahoma State where he got some spotlight. Meanwhile, Jamarian Sharp has played at Western Kentucky. These last two seasons started off his career the first two years at John A. Logan College in Illinois and then was able to go up to Western Kentucky for the last two seasons, he's been one of the best shot blockers in the country. Marion Sharp, in his uh, first year, so it'll be his third season of college, but first year at Western Kentucky, blocked 148 shots. That is 4.6 blocks per game. That translated to an 18.8% block rate. And then the next season, he had a, quote, down year this past season in 2022-23 with 100 and 31 block shots. That is 4.1 block shots per game, and that translated to a 16.5 block rate. So elite, absolute elite shot blocker, Jamarian Sharp. Old Miss lists Jamarian Sharp at seven foot five, 235 pounds. So that is unusual, unique, bear, you know, game-breaking. Size seven foot five, two thirty five. That's part of the reason why he's able to block shots so easily. The last season at Western Kentucky in his fourth year scored seven point four points per game for Jamarian Sharp, pulled in seven point seven rebounds per game, dished out zero point two assists per game, had one steal, and those four point one blocks per game. Jamarian Sharp shot. 63.3% from two-point range, took exactly one three-point attempt and did not make it. And then Jamarian Sharp shot 50% from the free throw line. I mean, he's a big dude that can block a bunch of shots. That's the main selling point on Jamarian Sharp. And not just that he can block a bunch of shots. Anybody that has a block rate over 10% is a good shot blocker. Anybody that has over a 15% block rate is an absolute elite dude that you just can't get much off when he's there. I mean, he's just in the paint. In all game, you're just trying to figure a way to get him out of the paint and get away from there so you can have some kind of a chance to do anything there. But that's part of where the, the like, I don't know, the NBA role... Taco Fall is the name that's going to come up, I'm sure, in discussions with Jamarian Sharp if he continues to block over 100 shots in the SEC at Old Miss. Then, yeah, I think he's going to be in draft discussion because you don't see this level of shot blocker unless they're like a Walker Kessler or Mark Williams, like these elite level dudes that have come out recently. And those should also be names that come up in the discussion with Jamarian Sharp. I'm not saying he's going to be as good of, as those guys. But I mean, if you fall somewhere between Taco Fall, who got a shot in the NBA, 
for a while. And like Walker Kessler and Mark Williams ended up being first round picks and looked like they're going to be good pros. Then you're going to be fine. And Jamarian Sharp has all the decorations, all the awards. He was all Conference USA last year. He was two-time Conference USA All-Defense. He was two-time Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year. If he can just continue that. If he can continue that, I shouldn't say if he just can, because that's a tall ask, especially in the SEC, against the best athletes out there in college basketball. A lot of people debate that. I think probably the SEC still has the best athletes in college basketball. If he can do that, and again, even if it's like 90 to 100 shots that he's able to block in the SEC, I would still really sell him. Like, I mean, we should get this guy in here. Give him a shot. Also, doesn't waste shots on offense. 68%, 68.1% true shooting uh, in his first year at Western Kentucky, and then 60.3% in his second season for Jamarion Sharp, 60.3% true shooting. Also, that free throw attempt rate last year was ridiculous at 70.3%. Yes, I did not stutter. I did not hesitate. Uh, is not an incorrect number. 70.3% free throw attempt rate. And while the 50% from the free throw line is obviously concerning, it's helpful that his attempts went up 104 Attempts this last year compared to 58 the year before. And then the percentage also went up. I mean, if he could be like a 60% free throw shooter and he's getting aligned that that often while being able to be that shot blocking menace, then yeah, he's a big mismatch dude. Doesn't take a lot of shots. So, I mean, again, this is team dirty work. I mean, they're selling you on the defensive stuff, but trying to give you the overall profile. 148 attempts. In total for Marion Sharp this last season. And that was exactly, I think, like third. No, sorry. It was even lower than I remember. Marion Sharp took the sixth most attempts on Western Kentucky. So you're not going to be asking him to do much on offense. He only took 85 shots at the rim, but did drain 64 of them for 75.3%. So that's always good. You're limited then at least to be dominant in your limitations. And then was 21 of 43 in the paint for 48.8%, which is also good. So if he can just become a pick and roll guy, that's all that I would ask of Jamarian Sharp now. It's like, okay, can just be a big dude hanging on the dunker spot. We need you to run some picks, especially that size. You could be a gigantic pick setter that people just don't want to have to get around. If you can continue be like 70 to 75% finisher. Fantastic. Again, why I was like, I don't know. This is the one where I'm like, I, again, I don't know. Musa has the pedigree and has, you know, the play at big 12 basketball with Memphis beforehand to warrant starting over Jamarian Sharp. I also do not know if Chris Beard, who is there now at Ole Miss is going to run two bigs to where they play Jamarian Sharp and Musa Cisse together. That doesn't seem like a recipe for success, but again, I wouldn't be opposed to it either. It'd definitely be a block party like I've started out with, but I could see world, especially where Jamarian Sharp comes off the bench and Musa Cisse gets the start because Musa Cisse is the better athlete. He's able to move more, whereas Jamarian Sharp is very limited. But Jamarian Sharp is somebody I really, really like as a shot blocker. Again, Walker Kessler, Mark Williams, Taco Fall, somewhere in between there. This is somebody I want to give a chance to because of his elite ability to block shots like that. If he can keep it up, keep doing that dirty work, coming to him more of a pick and roll guy in SEC play. And yeah, sign me up for more Jamarian Sharp. All right, let's move over to the guard spot now. And let's talk about Ace Baldwin Jr., who I know is on a lot of people's radar like the no ceilings crew are really an Ace Baldwin. Ace Baldwin is going to be playing at Penn State this upcoming season. Penn State lists Ace Baldwin Jr. at six foot one, one hundred and ninety pounds. Given name Adrian Baldwin Jr., but he goes by Ace. Ace played the last three seasons at VCU before transferring over to Penn State now, where Mike Rhodes is the head coach after Mike Shrewsbury took the head coaching job at Notre Dame. Mike Rhodes did a fantastic job over at VCU where his point guard was Ace Baldwin Jr. So he comes over to be acclimated in the system. Definitely expect Ace to continue to produce well since he's already acclimated with the coaching system. And then we'll get everybody set up there. 
Ace Baldwin this past season at VCU scored 12.7 points per game, holding 2.9 rebounds per game, dished out 5.8 assists per game, had 2.2 steals per game, 0.1 blocks per game. And then Ace Baldwin Jr. shot 46.8% from two-point range, 34.2% from three-point range, and 79.5% from the free throw line. The number one thing everybody talks about with Ace Baldwin Jr. is he is just a thief. Every season from his freshman to this past season in his third year's junior season at VCU, Ace Baldwin has averaged over two, two steals per game. I... Cannot tell you the last player that I've looked at that did that. It's probably somebody in like the early 90s or in the 80s. 2.1 steals per game as a freshman, 2.5 steals per game as a sophomore, and then 2.2 steals per game this last season, third year as a junior. Their totals, too, the totals every single year went up. 55 steals as a, a freshman, first year for Ace Baldwin Jr., 61 steals as a sophomore, and then 67 steals this past season. And it's 30-year junior season for Ace Baldwin. I mean, he's just a menace. He just get out there, jump passing lanes. He doesn't give you any breathing room whenever he's guarding you in man-to-man. Some people might dismiss Ace Baldwin Jr. Number one, 6'1", 190 is not going to be very big. I also don't know if 6'1", is his like legitimate height. Because sometimes he looks smaller than that. So we'll see what Ace Baldwin Jr. ends up measuring at. Also at VCU, they ran more zone-ish concepts. And Ace Baldwin wasn't exactly the point of attack defender all the time. Really, they had him lined up on like the strong side, where one of the forwards would normally be like the, the small forward or the power forward. So he wasn't always lined up on like the most athletic guards. But I also think this helped him out in his role because he was the one communicating a lot of things. Also, he's the guy that was like, you know, tagging or either being able to jump in and get shade onto the big man and provide double teams, which, again, normally is like a forward thing. You want somebody six, seven or above to do those things. But it speaks to Mike Rhodes and that staff's comfort level and Ace Baldwin's ability that he was the one doing that because he was either to get in there and get down low and steal, you know, balls from the big guy who's looking up top. He's not paying attention to this dude down low. Also speaks to Ace Baldwin's strength, especially in the lower body to be able to handle there. I'm not going to say like back down a ton of centers or anything in there, but he had enough possessions where I watched to where he got in there. And you could tell the guy that, that he was on all of a sudden was like, oh, this was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. So there is that as well. But when he did play man-to-man defense, I think Ace Baldwin just showed fantastic skills there too. Like I said, he does not give you breathing room. He's one of those guys that flips his hips that doesn't necessarily run after you, but slides and stays with you and is always poking at the ball. You might think that, oh, he's always poking at the ball. He's going to have a lot of fouls. Well, 2.2 fouls per game. That's actually not a lot of fouls. 80 in total. Played over a thousand minutes. You didn't really see him get what I like to call handsy, where he's getting hands on you. It's mainly, like I said, poking at the ball. I think where he gets into a little bit of trouble is when people are trying to back him down. He did have a tendency to like reach in there and do it. I think if he could just stay, stay still, chill, and wait until they turn around and then attack, that's probably going to be something that can really limit those fouls. Even though it's not a lot, I think it's one of those things where. It could just make him even more of a threat. And he's going to be able to play a bunch of different defensive roles. And especially for a smaller guy, that's one of the things that you need to be able to do in today's NBA is to be able to play a bunch of different roles, which Ace can do. And defense, you can line him up, like I said, in zone, strong side, weak side, if you really wanted him to. Not that anybody's going to ask him to do that a lot in the NBA, but it helps to show like, oh, I can guard up my position. And then what about on offense? Does Ace do dirty work on offense? Well, kind of. He's not a great finisher. That is the one thing in the profile that doesn't fit in terms of dirty work. But he does get in there and he does want to continue to attack. 68 total attempts at the rim and then 47 in the paint. Those were his second or his first and his third most attempted shots. The shot he took the most was from the top of the key with 49 attempts and shot 38.8%. So he is a solid shooter. But then after that, the most attempts he took or 
before that, I should say, the most attempts he took, 68 were at the rim. Only drained 40 of them for 58.8%. That has to improve. And then 47, third most attempted shot for Ace Baldwin. And he drained 12 of them, which is 25.5%. Not good there. But 111, uh, 117, excuse me, 117 free throw attempts Ace Baldwin had last season and drained 79.5% of them. That is good. Free throw attempt rate consistently is over 30. Last year was the highest that Ace Baldwin ever got to the line at 39.4%. That's an improvement, much, much improvement. It's almost around 40%. That can continue to go up along with like being this steel master and being a really, really, really solid point of attack defender. Then it's going to sell a lot of different teams. 111 three-point attempts as well. 34.2%, 34.2%, you might think like, ah, that's not that fantastic, but over 100 attempts from three, and then you're taking, you're shooting around average percent of them, I'm always going to buy into you as well. Again, broken record here, 79.5%. The free throw percentage looks good. I think he's fine. I think he had to take a lot of tough attempts this last season at VCU as well. He was the lead scorer for VCU. Ace Baldwin Jr. was the leading scorer for a VCU team. And he and Brandon Johns were the only players on VCU this last season who scored nine points, over 9.7 points per game. Everybody else was lower than that. Jaden Nunn, Jameer Watkins, Jalen Deloach, like they chipped in now and then, but it was clear that Ace Baldwin and Brandon Johns had to pull a lot of scoring mode a lot of times. They were out there. I think the Dayton game where they did end up winning the 8-10, like that's a good game to look at for Ace Baldwin Jr. Because while he didn't have a single steal on that game, you see him play disciplined basketball. I think he only had one turnover in that game as well. And the defensive role he was playing was being able to stay home, being able to make sure that he is disrupting and not chasing steals. That's the other part of it where I'm like, he does that steal dirty work, but he's not just out there jumping passing lanes. He's not out there just trying to grab stats. Like you assume a lot of dudes that are going to get a ton of steals are doing. He's not doing that does try and play within the scheme. Part of why Mike Rhodes had him in that unique role on the strong side and the zone defense, part of why he wants to transfer over to Penn State to help him get that program set and to be able to have his guy there. So look at that Dayton tape to get an idea. Again, not a, doesn't have a steal in there, but you see the defensive impact Ace Baldwin continues to have being disruptive even without grabbing a steal. The last thing in Ace Baldwin's profile is he is a fantastic point guard. Every season that Ace Baldwin has played, over 110 assists. This last season, Ace Baldwin Jr. had the most assists he's ever had in a season with 173 to just 80 turnovers. So he's getting better at taking care of the ball. That was something that the first two seasons he had 23% turnover rate or higher. Last season, it was still high at 18.5%, but it's good to see that going down. The best part about the playmaking, though, Every season, Ace Baldwin Jr. has had a 27% assist percentage or better. The last two seasons, Ace Baldwin Jr. has had 32% assist percentage or better. He's going to create a bunch of shots for teammates. You want a point guard to be able to do that, obviously. He's getting better at getting the free throw line. Is a good volume shooter that's going to continue to be average. And then defensively, he's so versatile to be able to do a bunch of different things. I don't think anybody will ever be Jose Alvarado, but if I had to every year, like say, hey, who's the closest or who's somebody you would bet on at guard to be something close to that, then Ace Baldwin Jr. would probably be my pick this year because the shooting is there, the playmaking is there, and then the defensive versatility is there to where whatever you're going to ask him to do, he's going to do it. He does not care who's opposite of him. He does not mind taking the toughest defensive assignment. And he's able to do all these supplementary things for his teammates. That's why I really like the steel master, Ace Baldwin Jr. Let's stick to guard again and go back to last season in episode number one, where I profiled Raheem Moss. Raheem Moss is somebody I really like. Reminds me a ton of Avery Bradley at 6'4", 205 pounds. is bigger than Avery Bradley. But if you talk to that Toledo coaching staff, they say we use him. He's the Marcus Smart of our team. That tells you the level of defender that they think Raheem Moss is is able to just get on a bunch of different dudes. Before I even break down any, any, any tape 
or any stats or anything else on Raheem Moss, I implore you, go watch the game against Michigan and the NIT where Raheem Moss was on Kobe Bufkin. Kobe Bufkin ends up scoring quite a bit of points, but just watch when number two Raheem Moss is on him. I believe he only scores something like seven points. You can tell he does not like having this dude on him. He is not comfortable or zero. Excuse me, Raheem Moss is number zero. He's not comfortable. This guy is able to stick with him. Whereas when Ray J. Dennis, JT Shoemate, and these other guys that are not as tenacious, not as athletic, get on Kobe Bufkin, then he was able to let loose. I mean, Raheem Moss is a fantastic dude that can eliminate and frustrate even the best of guards out there. Raheem Moss, again, on Toledo's website, they list him at 6'4", 205 pounds. will be in his third season there at Toledo. This last year at Toledo, Raheem Moss scored 8.5 points per game, pulled in 4.2 rebounds per game, just out 2.4 assists, had 1.5 steals per game, 0.1 blocks per game. Shooting splits for Raheem Moss were 59.5% from two-point range, 33% from three-point range, and then 79.8% from that free-throw line. Man-to-man defender on point guards and shooting guards. I don't know what his wingspan is, but this is somebody that I would say could guard up. Too small for it if he does have the requisite wingspan because he is willing, and I think he is also athletic and strong enough in the lower body to be able to do it. Also on offense is somebody that is going to be able to play both the shooting guard and the point guard position. Raheem Moss scored, uh, excuse me, Raheem Moss shot 77 shots at the rim this past season and drained 50 of them for 64.9%. That's the shot Raheem Moss took the most and shot a great percentage there, 64.9%. He's attacking, he's getting in the rim and being able to finish at a high rate. And then the 33% from three-point range might not look all that fantastic, but is able to continue to get better as a three-point shooter. Again, broken record, the free throw percentage, 79.8%. I buy into that. But as a freshman, Raheem Moss took 67 three-point attempts, trained 32.8% of them. And then as a sophomore this last year, Raheem Moss took 94 three-point attempts and drained them at 33%. So when the attempts go up and the percentage goes up, I tend to buy into you as well. I also think he's indicative of everybody on this list as well. He has to do the dirty work for his teammates who are going to score and do other things. Raheem Moss had to cover up for Ray J. Dennis, who was not a good defender. He had to cover up for JT Shoemate, who is athletically limited. And those were really two of the top three guys for that uh, Toledo team last season. So you need a Raheem Moss out there. And like I said, the coaching staff calls him their Marcus Smart because he's the guy that makes the defense work. Really, really, really good man-to-man defender. I buy him into him a lot. Going to have more of a role this year, I hope anyway, because the guys I just listed, Ray J. Dennis transferred over to Oklahoma, I believe. Or no, that was J.V. McCullen. I forget where Ray J. Dennis transferred over to. Maybe over to Baylor. I think it was. And then JT Shoemate graduated. I think Cedric Milner might have graduated or moved on as well. So the top three scorers for Toledo are no longer there. So hopefully Raheem Moss can get more shine there. But again, he's somebody I just say buy into him as a man-to-man defender. Number one. And again, one and a half steals. That's nothing to sneeze at. 52 total steals this last season. And then he also crashed it last pretty well, 147 rebounds. His physical, physical, physical. Not afraid to throw around his body on offense. Not afraid to throw around his body on defense in whatever way you're asking him to do. Then 59.6% true shooting as a supplementary dude. Again, the 33% from three might be something where you're like, yeah, I don't know if I can buy into this guy. But again, look at the true shooting, 58.3% as a freshman and then 59.6% as a sophomore. It goes up. The attacking is why you see that true shooting percentage going up because he's draining his best shot, which is at the rim, which should be the most efficient shot. And then he's draining enough three-pointers, probably why they're also saying he's Marcus Smart. He continues to take them when he's open. He does not care if he goes on a cold streak. He's just going to continue to do that because he knows he has to do it. 
30.6% three-point attempt rate for Raheem Moss as a freshman, 44.8% as that sophomore. And then the free throw attempt rate goes up to 37% as a freshman and 40% as a sophomore. Just somebody you want to buy into as this role player, the number one you bought to buy into the defense there. So Raheem Moss, like I'm saying, please, 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 I implore you, pay attention to him at Toledo this upcoming season. You won't be disappointed by the defense. He drains, you know, really a great amount of shots at the rim. And he's a good enough three-point shooter that it translates fantastic. If you need one last selling point on Raheem Moss, if you start looking at his production from the first game in the calendar year of 2023, which was on January 3rd, I believe that's when conference play started for Toledo. Then just look at the stats since January 3rd, 2023. I mean, 60% true shooting percentage. Again, he's not wasting shots. He's playing tough defense. This is one guy on Team Dirty Work you want to buy into. If you need a defender, if you need somebody to come in and be a great point of attack, also can guard on the shooting guard. Probably a future Miami Heat undrafted free agent all-star is Raheem Moss. Take a look at him. He's doing that dirty work in Toledo. No dirty work team would be complete without a 3 and D wing. So let's go to San Diego State by way of Detroit. Shout out Detroit. And let's talk about Micah Parrish. Six foot six, 195 pound wing. Started his career at Oakland, but then last season transferred over to San Diego State where he helped San Diego State make it to the NCAA final championship game. But of course, sadly, the San Diego State Aztecs fell short to a fantastic UConn team. Well, Micah Parrish last season for the San Diego State Aztecs scored 7.4 points per game, pulled in 3.6 rebounds per game, dished out 0.6 assists per game, has 0.7 steals per game, and 0.3 blocks per game. Micah Parrish shot 41.1% from two-point range, 35.3% from three-point range, and then 76.4% from that free throw line. Again, this one is 3 and D wing. That is what I'm going to sell you. On with Micah Parrish, one defensive conference defensive honors was Horizon All Defense uh, in the Horizon League with Oakland in his second season, I believe. There was also Horizon League All Freshman team with Oakland University. Then comes over to San Diego State. That's the reason they wanted him at San Diego State because defense, defense, defense. That is what they preach and San Diego State. And if you need a little bit more selling on Micah Parrish, can you guess how many minutes he played last season for that runner-up San Diego State team that was 32-7? and seven? It wasn't Nathan Mensa that was the fifth most minutes played due to on San Diego State. It was actually Micah Parrish. I know we think of that team as Darian Trammell, Matt Bradley, Lamont Butler, Kashad Johnson, and Nathan Mensa. Mensa, don't get me wrong, fantastic shot blocker was a pivotal guy, the foundation of that defense for San Diego State. But again, Michael Parrish played the fifth most minutes for that San Diego State roster because three and D. Two things he could do that the guards couldn't. Trammell, Butler, even Bradley was have that length at six foot six to guard the wing and the quickness to be able to do it. And again, Butler, I think he's a tenacious defender. But he's not six foot six, one ninety five. He's six, six two. Darian Trammell, I believe, is like five ten, five eleven, depending on who you ask. So he had to make up for his size. And then even somebody like a Matt Bradley, who's like two twenty, he's still six four. He doesn't quite have the length, and definitely didn't have the quickness of a Micah Parrish. And even somebody like Kashad Johnson, six seven, two ten, was more of like the power forward defender at times. Could be. A small ball five, the way that San Diego State could have could have run him at times. But Micah Parrish was legitimately a three and D wing there. 139 goal attempts from three-point range, 35.3%. That was third most on the team. San Diego State did have four guys that took over 115 attempts from three. But there were only three of them who shot over 35%. Adam Seiko led the team with 45.8% from three-point range on 118 attempts on fire. And then we had Matt Bradley at 35.6% on 160 attempts. And then third in percentage was 
Mr. Micah Parrish with, with that 35.3% on 139 attempts. Good man-to-man -man defender. will get in there, not afraid to get his nose dirty. The one thing he was not really able to show a ton of at San Diego State this last season is his ability to get to the free throw line. That's one thing I suspect is going to be something that will be more on display this upcoming season with San Diego State because Keshaw Johnson transferred over to my Wildcats here at Arizona. Matt Bradley graduated. And then Nathan Mensah is no longer there as well. So there's a big hole to fill, especially the Matt Bradley role, who he was the main floor spacer. And so I, I suspect Michael Parrish is going to transfer into that as well. And they're going to continue to use Micah Parrish to make up for the length that Darian Trammell, Lamont Butler don't have. He's a fantastic supplementary guy to those, those two as they like to attack. And Micah Parrish can space out the floor more consistently. But in terms of being able to draw free throws at Oakland, Micah Parrish was able to get to the free throw line 51 or 42.5% uh, in his sophomore year. And then even as a freshman, 44.4% free throw attempt rate was over 40% when he got a major amount of minutes and he was more of in that featured role. I expect that to come back somewhere around like 35 to 40%. Again, you're going to see he's not afraid to get his nose dirty to be able to get in there and draw contact. I really, really, really think that Micah Parrish is going to step into the Matt Bradley role, be that primary floor spacer be able to attack more. Just to give you an idea, last season, Matt Bradley took 163-point attempts, got to the free throw line 115 times in total. So I think that Michael Parrish is going to go into that role. Center is going to be what San Diego State is going to have to work out, but I really buy into Micah Parrish as a 3 and D prospect for San Diego State. Keep an eye out for him as he's going to space out for his guards. San Diego State's always going to play tough defense. He's going to have to work on finishing at the rim, though, where in the last season he only shot 56.4% at the rim. And then Micah Parrish only got 25% of his shots fall in the paint. Very small sample size, though, 39 shots at the rim, 24 in the paint. Again, he's mainly asked to space out the floor. Uh, well, I say I think that Micah Parrish is going to be more in the Matt Bradley role. I do think it's going to be a little bit more supplementary as a shooter because of Darian Trammell and Lamont Butler and how they like to attack and get inside. And then Micah can just continue to space out. And with the uncertainty at center, I also think they might rely on Micah Parrish a little bit more as a three-point shooter, as whoever ends up playing center. They'd have two freshmen essentially that are vying for it. They probably need that kind of a guy more than anything else. So Micah Parrish, 6'6", 195. Shout out Detroit. Shout out San Diego State. 3 and D, Micah Parrish, Team Dirty Work. Chad, thank you so much for listening to us. We cannot thank you enough for all the support. Let us know who else you would like to include on Team Dirty Work. Again, we'll, as the season goes on, we'll say where these guys ultimately end up on the boards. If I had to rank like any of them and say like, who's probably going to be the highest out of all of them. I mean, it's probably Micah Parrish just by nature of being the three and D wing. You know, everybody's looking for those guys. They're playing at San Diego state being more of a feature guy. If that program continues to be as successful as it is, then yeah, he probably is going to be the highest one. Maybe KJ Adams. Maybe an Olivier Kamwa if they really, really, really catch on, especially Olivier Kamwa if he starts draining threes more. And KJ Adams, if it just shows like, man, he's really covering up for everything the Hunter lacks, then yeah. I do think Raheem Moss will start to get more love. It might take him another year, though, to be quite honest, if he's not like the featured guy there. But just the way the coaches talk about him, what you're able to see on defense, how he's able to frustrate and eliminate really good players like a Kobe Bufkin. That speaks for itself. Ace Baldwin and Jamarian Sharp are just to have things that overcome. People don't like the big dudes that can't space out the floor and are stuck to the paint. They don't like the smaller guards that are that size, you know, that aren't elite Steph Curry type shooters. So, yeah, that's going to be something for them that scouts are just going to inherently hold against them. Fair enough. Fair or not. I mean, it's just it is what it is. That's how the NBA works. But, again, team dirty work. I really like all these guys. 
keep an eye on them, please. I implore you and let me know who else we should include on Team Dirty Work as we get closer to the 2023-2024 NCAA season. Yeah, I cannot thank you enough. I cannot say it enough for listening to us here. We will catch you next time. And as I always say, go on it.